Hello and welcome back to the Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. My name is Peter Spasia, and today is March 24th, 2019. This is the 60th episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We use Discord as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power that is found in a typical gaming podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at rhymeswithasia.com call. On today's episode, a Nindies showcase for GDC and PlayStation announces their own direct in our headline roundup. Our main topic is Google announcing the Stadia streaming platform. And then we will get to your calls if you're tuning in live on Discord. Well, I hope you've been having a great week in games. Maybe something caught your eye in that Nindies Direct. It was like the start of the week. We knew it was going to be big on Tuesday with the Stadia presentation. And we'll get to that. There was a lot that was covered. There's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of possible ramifications throughout the industry. A lot to get to in our main topic there. But then it was the next day and it's like, here's some nindies because it's GDC time and it's like everybody wanted to announce some sort of thing with their game or announce a game. There's a lot to get to in this show, so we might as well jump right in with the video game news from the past week in our headline roundup. Since we'll get to the Google news, let's start with that nindies showcase. Uh, yeah, The nindies showcase for spring 2019, just right before GDC talking about the latest Nintendo Switch indie game efforts. And it starts with a weird one. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I saw that that counter sort of spin around and just thought Cuphead immediately. And I was almost weirded off at first because what's this guy doing talking about milk? And watching it again, check out how he notes he said the switch to milk. I didn't catch that until like the second or third viewing, but it's just like, okay, fine. Yes, it's pretty clear. And then... Yeah, there's Cuphead and, and Mugman, and they're <laughs> singing a little ditty about coming to Switch. I mean, that is a big deal. That was certainly the biggest deal, I think, from an industry overall perspective, because we've had Microsoft talking before GDC about they're bringing Xbox Live elements to iOS and Android. And of course, they want to expand more, but they didn't want to talk about Switch stuff. But we're seeing things like Mr. Switch in the leaderboards in their presentations at GDC. Cuphead being a big one, it was supposedly Microsoft's efforts reaching out to Nintendo to bring Cuphead to Switch on April 18th. So about a month away from that one. Uh, Xbox One and PC will also be getting an update for Cuphead if you have the game there like I do. Uh, little things like just, you know, improvements, tweaks. You can play as Mugman if you're soloing the game. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, I guess. But that was really important because it's just the continued partnership between Microsoft and Nintendo. Microsoft reaching out to Nintendo to bring a game to Switch. What does this mean in the future? It feels like Ori and the Blind Forest is going to be like a definitive game. Like that's like a, a sure thing, mark it down, book it kind of deal. But then you think going forward, I mean, Master Chief Collection, is there any remote possibility that that comes to Switch in some way? I, I mean, just think about it. The future could be crazy. But then they ended the Nindy Showcase really well, I think. Great trailer where the techno music pumps up and as soon as you see the character, I mean, it's, it's Crypt of the Necrodancer. I mean, clearly it's it's Danny Baranowski's work with Crypt of the Necrodancer there. And you start seeing what's usually a pretty bog standard overworld, right? But of course, inspired 
by The Legend of Zelda. And it's when that music chime comes in that everybody reacting to that trailer uh, could not believe it when it's it's the mashup of Crypt of the Necrodancer with The Legend of Zelda. It's Nintendo reaching out to a Western independent third party in a way to license out their characters to make a crossover game. I mean, that is wild. Coming spring 2019, Cadence of Hyrule. A great title, great concept. I, I can't wait to see the full, I mean, we saw the snippets of it, right? But the full Crypt of the Necrodancer combat with Zelda, it's gonna work so well. And Baranowski's back doing the music. Those were the two big highlights. The, the beginning, the ending, great, great titles. But then you also had games that were out now. Blaster Master Zero Two comes out of nowhere. And it's like, yep, that makes sense. It was a Switch, I think it was a launch title. The original one so it makes sense that a sequel's coming around here yeah shadow drop it absolutely out right now nuclear throne good to have out right now on switch were there other games that i was interested in i think the red lantern caught my eye i mean granted i didn't need to see a dog dying on stream i didn't need that but ashley birch narrating a narrative adventure about the iditarod sign me up absolutely katana zero looked really cool with its Sort of hotline Miami-like action. And then Creature in the Well, when you're talking about like top-down pinball-like action, that was really cool too. So I think those ones kind of caught my eye the most, but good to bring on the Nindies. Absolutely need to see those more. You know, it's good to see more direct presentations, right? So thought PlayStation, and PlayStation has been rather quiet for a while now, to the point where they say, you know what? We're going to come up with the state of play direct and you know I, I get the play on words it's really clever pretty cool but monday march 25th so maybe by the time you're listening to this it's either already out or very soon going to be out there so on monday at 5 p.m eastern time on march 25th there playstation is doing their own direct where they say in their blog post quote state of play will give you updates and announcements from the world of playstation our first episode will showcase upcoming PS4 and PSVR software, including new trailers, new game announcements, and new gameplay footage. There's been rumors going around about there's like a new first or second party exclusive to PS4 that hasn't been announced yet, and I wonder if this is the place to announce it, whatever it may be. And this is a really big deal though, overall, because it's really the first big communication from Sony and PlayStation since they said, Oh, we're not doing E3 2019 this year. And that's really unusual, right? I mean, yeah, we've seen the, the preview stuff for Days Gone and I'm pretty excited for that one to come out at the end of April for sure. But to see more news like this, the real question will be, where does it fall on the spectrum between really cut and, you know, narrowed down Nintendo Direct style or open and free-flowing and long format with live show hosts? that Xbox does with inside Xbox. Do they kind of place it in the middle? Do they cheat one way or the other? I'm gonna be very interested to see state of play and what that will really have to offer. Microsoft though is also offering a live show this week. They're kind of taking a more direct approach, I suppose, where they're talking about ID at Xbox Game Pass. And so it's like the Nindies sort of route, but they're talking about the Xbox Indies, though specifically the ones that will be coming to their Xbox Game Pass service. That'll be on Tuesday, March 26th at noon Eastern Time. 
They say that the biggest title that they'll have to talk about with behind the scenes look and all will be After Party. And that's the follow-up title from Night School Studio, who you may know as the creators of Oxenfree. So that one's a little more laid out, like temper your expectations for that one. PlayStation's going to go big with their first state of play. Microsoft will follow up the next day with a smaller indies focused ID at Xbox Game Pass. But Sony's trying to do something big at retailers though. According to a scan of a GameStop notification, Sony will stop distributing digital game codes for full game SKUs at retailers. This will be starting on April 1st. Uh, for GameStop, it says customers will be encouraged to pre-order the physical version of the game if a customer comes up and asks for the digital code. Of course, PSN gift cards will still be sold, as will add-ons like DLC and things like that, but you've probably seen at retailers, it's just, you know, full physical games, codes and cards for them. No longer, according to Sony and PlayStation, will those be sold. Very interesting. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, you know, funnel more people into the digital PSN storefront and Sony can get a bigger cut that way. I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, it, in a way it's almost confused me. Why do they sell those cards at the store to begin with? So I don't think this really necessarily hints at what they're doing next with PS5 or anything like that, but it's kind of a reining back of their retail presence in the slightest possible way. This just very interesting to note. Epic Game Store though, when we're talking about digital storefronts, is trying to put in those body blows to Steam, right? They're trying to get those exclusives and start to build those up. So GDC rolls around and of course they have big announcements to make. Wanted to hit kind of their bullet points from their press release. First, they mentioned about how successful the launch of Tom Clancy's The Division 2 has been for them on the Epic Game Store, partnering with Ubisoft. So Ubisoft and Epic are announcing an extension to their agreement that will bring several major PC releases to the store in partnership with their Uplay division. Details will be revealed in the future by Ubisoft. So Epic also does a monthly free game promotion through the Epic Game Store. And because of this success with Ubisoft, Ubisoft's past titles are now eligible and available to be used for that free game promotion. So keep that in mind. I think some people were bothered by the news that Take-Two Interactive's private division are bringing their highly anticipated titles, The Outer Worlds from Obsidian Entertainment and Ancestors, The Humankind Odyssey from Panache Digital Games to the Epic Game Store. People definitely concerned with The Outer Worlds being an exclusive to the Epic Game Store. I guess it's just another thing that you'd have to install, another account to make. Um, but then again, like if PC is the way to go, like these are the business deals that are happening to try to you know, get those shots in to Steam to kind of loosen the grip of the monopoly, as it were. We knew that Quantic Dream had kind of broken away as a second party, you know, sort of studio to PlayStation, uh, where a lot of their games for a while were PlayStation exclusives. And we knew they got that big investment for future titles to go anywhere, to go multi-platform. Didn't really see this coming where Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and Detroit Become Human are coming to PC for the first time. And they kind of said soon exclusively to the Epic Game Store. I mean, that's a big deal, especially for Detroit. I mean, came out last year and now it's already coming to PC. I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, Epic also announced that After Party, mentioned that earlier, uh, Control from Remedy, and then Dauntless 
are among the future Epic Game Store exclusives that will be coming. Now, some of these like Quantic Dream, I believe have a at least one year exclusivity. So maybe they'll still come to Steam at some point, but Epic's trying to get their foot in the door there. That's really interesting. Bethesda has announced their E3 plans. And yes, E3 is going to be coming up sooner than we realize. But you know, when we know that PlayStation is falling away, EA isn't really going to have a press conference this year. Bethesda says, yep, despite our rough year, we'll still have our press conference Sunday, June 9th. It'll be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. They mentioned it'll be an in-depth focus on Doom Eternal, which certainly makes sense. I would definitely expect Wolfenstein Youngblood in there as well. That's kind of the kind of interstitial title, not a full Wolfenstein game, but talking about Plaskovitz's twin daughters. They mentioned it last year. They showed a little teaser trailer for it, but they're aiming for release this year. I would expect more on that. It's going to be interesting to see if Fallout 76 is going to be a focus at all. It went so badly for them last year, but I'm sure they have a content plan that they'd like to roll out if they want to continue with that game. Will that be talked about at all or do they avoid it? Um, you know, a lot of E3 predictions are going to talk about Starfield and the Elder Scrolls 6. And they're going to say, oh, we saw them last year. They were just titles, but maybe we'll see something this year. You know, I wouldn't expect it. I would, it would be great to see. I mean, don't get me wrong. But I wouldn't put any expectations on seeing either of those two games there. I mean, they're so far away. We kind of still have to establish the next generation, right? And we're just not there yet. So maybe next year. But hey, if Bethesda wants to surprise us with those games, you know, by all means, show us. Hideo Kojima and Norman Reedus are going to be talking about Death Stranding at the Tribeca Film Festival. This will take place on Thursday, April 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, Jeff Keighley is moderating the discussion. I had to throw this in here because I was wondering with PlayStation kind of shifting the way that they're divulging new information, is this going to be part of their newer approach? Will we actually see new information, see new gameplay, maybe get a release date tease? something out of Kojima from the Tribeca Film Festival of all places. Just kind of keep that in mind for late next month. Uh, of course, it's an interesting venue for Kojima, right? Who's always sort of fancied himself a director. So put him on a, a film festival stage and maybe with Redis, they'll divulge some new information because you see people who were seeing Death Stranding and they're like, it's mind blowing. It's amazing. And it's like, okay, you did get that access. You're going to say great things, but how good is it really? Just Keep that in mind. And then I was very excited yesterday when Persona 5 The Royal was revealed. So keep in mind that just as Persona 4 Golden, one of my favorite games of all time, was named Persona 4 The Golden in Japan, Persona 5 The Royal has been teased in a teaser trailer following uh, the Persona 5 animations concluding OVA over there in Japan. So. Yes, probably the localized title will just be Persona 5 Royal. Just keep that in mind there. But the tease of this shows a female character in what is apparently a first-year Shujin Academy outfit, and she's sporting a dark red ponytail. The general translation of what happens, there's a voice, some people think it's a catchy, uh, asking, what do you think of the Phantom Thieves? Of course, it's all in Japanese, so translations here. Uh, but this female character says, essentially, I think helping people is a wonderful thing, but if I had to say, I don't like them. 
I don't think the Phantom Thieves' methods will make the world a better place, or help anyone. In the end, I feel like you can only solve that yourself. So there's definitely a mystery as to this character's role, and I think a lot of people were kind of jumping on board, probably myself excitedly included, saying, female main character! Oh man, first time since Persona 3 Portable, female main character! Give us a whole game based on her, uh, not necessarily just yet. I think there's a good chance, but you have to question with that quote, it kind of throws the motives in a bit of a, a mix there. You know, whether she is helping the police, whether she is a main character, or really what this means for the changes that could be made to a vanilla Persona 5 game. And I think that's where a lot of people are thinking, that's kind of, based on the naming conventions, what it's kind of showing, how it looks, it's probably going to be the, the cleaned up version, the director's cut, as it were, of Persona 5. It's not going to be the fighting game. It's not going to be a whole separate new game entirely, I don't think anyway. Uh, Persona 5, the Royal, Royal, it'll just be kind of that, that, that best version, right? So it's interesting to think about what this female character and what her role will be, really. But you have to kind of think that it's got to be really important. One, why would they show her? But two, why does Super Smash Brothers tie into everything? We talked about several episodes ago where there was a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate data mine that suggested an alternate costume to Joker's character model. It had the code name in there of Jane instead of Joker's Jack. And the interesting thing about that data mine text was it specifically noted a ponytail. So you know, speculate about, oh, well, Persona 5, maybe there's a female character, maybe she has a ponytail. And if that's what we were thinking then, why does that pay off now? Uh, you know, for Smash Brothers, it makes sense to show that now, have her be an alternate costume of some sort for Joker, show a Smash Brothers Direct in April sometime, uh, you know, we gotta show Update 3.0, is it gonna have, you know, the new modes like Stage Builder, like Home Run Contest, show Joker gameplay, finally, talk about when in April it's going to be released, and then you gotta tease character too, right, for Smash, I mean, Dragon Quest, you know. Let's, let's get that going. We gotta, if E3 is going to show character three, we got to show character two here eventually, right? And if that character three will be a Microsoft, that, that's a whole thing, right? But it's interesting to think about the timing and interplay for all this, right? Because the big holdout for Persona 5 The Royal is that we have to speculate for another month because we have to wait until April 24th to learn more about the game when more information will be shown at the Persona Super Live concert event. And that makes sense. That's been a place where in years past, Persona game news has broken. But man, to be vague enough to have us speculate even further, I mean, that's just, that's just wild. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to both the Smash news and the Persona 5 news. But that was a big reveal this weekend for sure. So not only was that game announced, plenty of other games and their release dates were announced this past week for GDC. Let's kind of run through them quickly. Apex Legends Season 1 Battle Pass with the new Octane character is out now on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 Lite, which is a free version of the game, is out now on PS4 and Xbox One. Life is Strange 2 We've been waiting to hear a little bit more about the game and when it's episode three will come out, but they announced episode three, four, and five, their release dates. And 
they're spread out, or at least more than you generally expect for an episodic game. So episode 3 of Life is Strange 2 is coming May 9th. Episode 4 is coming August 22nd. And episode 5 of Life is Strange 2 to complete the game, which started on September 27th, 2018, is ending December 3rd, 2019. So they're, they're really high quality episodes, don't get me wrong, but it's just going to be tough to wait even further, uh, stretching all of these out here. Oculus had some big news to drop during GDC, so Oculus Rift S, which is their, you know, really good Rift platform without the sensors. I mean, Oculus has had external sensors that you'd have to connect through PC or whatever, but the S version does not have these sensors. It's coming spring 2019 at $400 at $399. Beat Saber is coming to Oculus Quest, which is the cheaper kind of in-house kind of built on the visor there. The computing's all comprised there. And so you can go around full 360. Beat Saber, a great game to launch with that. Coming in spring 2019, that's Oculus Quest. Angry Birds AR, Isle of Pigs. Yes, remember Angry Birds? That's still a thing. This Isle of Pigs game is coming to iOS with augmented reality where you can Kind of fling those birds there. That's coming in late spring 2019 to iOS there. I, The Somnium Files. Or is it AI? The Somnium Files. It's the follow-up game from Kotaro Uchikoshi, who uh, really directed and pushed the Zero Escape game. So his new game, I, The Somnium Files, comes out July 25th on PS4 and Switch. Control from Remedy, as we mentioned earlier. Control comes out on August 27th on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Castle Crashers Remastered comes to PS4 and Switch in summer 2019. Call of Duty Mobile. Wow, that's, that's certainly a big one. Finally putting Call of Duty in a, a big place there on mobile. Coming 2019 on iOS and Android. And Vampire The Masquerade Bloodlines 2 comes to PS4, Xbox One, and PC in Q1 2020. The follow-up to that 2004 cult classic. Hard to believe, but a lot of people really excited for that one. So good to see that there. Let's get to our main topic, though, and talk about Stadia. And when we talked about Google last week and on the precipice at GDC and man, what are they doing? Could it be a box? Could it be two boxes? We know they want to talk about Project Stream. I don't think we really saw this coming. First of all, definitely important. I think we may have lost a little sight of this and maybe some people still lose sight of it. Keep in mind that because it's at GDC, this was developer focused. So when we rattle off what we were looking for, they'll talk more consumer facing things. And trust me, there are a lot of questions still to answer. They'll talk about that. They said in the summer, does that mean E3? Does that mean their own event? And hard to say, but when we keep in mind of what this is, you know, remember that this was presented to developers and it's still kind of early days in a way for Stadia, but they really wanted to talk about it and kind of go in depth and give the big vision. So let's first talk about what is Stadia. Then we'll look at the points from last week and see, did they hit any of those? We'll talk about the concerns going forward. And then finally, the competitors, because there's a new first party in the video game industry. They're looking to kind of get a piece of that pie. So 
to quickly run down the Stadia event, and I do recommend watching the Stadia event. I mean, it's in our show notes. If you didn't check it out, you absolutely should. It's a big deal, and it's, it's Google trying to look really forward at what could possibly be a next-generation concept. If we're there yet is a whole other question, but let's talk about Stadia. Google Stadia is essentially Google using their data center as the processing power hub for streaming game content. It is not a box at all. So it talks about boxes and consoles, just not a thing. It's Stadia streaming to wherever, essentially any screen using Google tech, whether it's Chrome on on a laptop, whether it's Chromecast, whether it's your phone on the Chrome browser there, it's a lot of potential there, but they talked about how they wanted to focus on create, scale, and connect. They first kind of pitch it with this instant access to gameplay, of course, using Assassin's Creed Odyssey as they did with Project Stream, where say you're watching the end of a YouTube video and there's a link to play it now just to get people to to discover and really get into the game sooner. They said, as soon as five seconds, you're in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I mean, wild stuff, okay. Well, mm, vertical integration and antitrust things, that's that's one thing, but you know, crazy vision, certainly. Talking about moving your save from one device to the next, the big thing on controllers and devices that you own. So the entry cost seemingly for the hardware is, is pretty low. Like you have, most of these things probably. You can plug in any USB controller, Xbox One, PS4, Switch even. Uh, they can support all of that. But of course, they have their own Stadia controller, which has extra perks, extra features. Uh, it connects to the Wi-Fi network, so it can connect to the Google sort of setup to kind of sync better there on that end. There's a capture button, there's an assist button, there's a microphone because every Google thing has to have microphones, right? They say they're aiming for 4K60 HDR at launch, which is bananas. And they say, I mean, it makes sense that it's scalable possible to 8K over time because the processing power is on the Google data center. And the GPU that they built for one GPU, they estimate it at 10.7 teraflops. If you want to get in the nitty gritty, Xbox One X is at six. PlayStation 4 Pro is at 4.2. So, oh, more powerful than them combined. And then they talk about how you can use multiple GPUs for games and how there are benefits to that all going forward. Uh, They get id Software, Marty Stratton on stage talking about Doom Eternal and how they're aiming for 4K 60 HDR at launch on Stadia. That's a big deal to get Marty out there. Um, Even little things like there's better multiplayer because you don't have to worry about the peer-to-peer connections and someone's bad internet slowing you down. And they're embracing cross-platform play. Absolutely. That's such a next-gen idea that the game industry needs to embrace. It was interesting to see certain slams of things like Crackdown 3. They're like, even in a few weeks, we built this big city and it has full destruction on the cloud. And it's like, wow, that really just happened. That was that shot across the bow at the original vision for Crackdown 3 that never panned out. But yet it's right there and it was so easy on Stadia, right? Uh, talking about asynchronous or even the return of split-screen multiplayer with no fidelity loss, because they can, sure. The style transfer bit where they brought uh, the lady from Tequila Works up there. Again, it's it's a dev tool. Interesting, you put in a picture and its style gets applied to all the gray boxes. Okay, cool little trick. It's a dev thing, fine. 
State Share was a really interesting idea, though, and they brought out Dylan Cuthbert from Q Games. And Q Games uh, works on pi- the Pixel Junk shooter games. Uh, they also worked on Star Fox Command, which I found interesting in the research there. But uh, Dylan Cuthbert's making a game that is going to take advantage of all this. And State Share is the idea of generating a link that you can put in Discord, Twitter, anywhere on the internet. People can click and be brought into a specific moment in a game. Like it saves all the elements, the inventory, the the status where you're at, where people can just say, hey, beat my high score. Fascinating in concept. And if, yeah, for a cloud streaming setup, it could absolutely work. Even the YouTube integration, because of course YouTube is owned by Google. There's some integration there. Your favorite streamer is playing NBA and there's, they set up crowd play where you can get into a queue there to play directly with your favorite streamer. I mean, if that works, that has a ton of potential. They bring MatPat out on stage. Okay, yep, fair enough. Talk about Google Assistant and how you're stuck on Rise of the Tomb Raider and say, help me get to the next part of the story. But it looks at a YouTube video, they say that it can pull and use the AI learning of the Google Assistant to get that video right for you all on the same screen. Again, fascinating dream stuff. It could be really cool, have a lot of great potential. We talked about Jade Raymond last week and how she was a VP at Google, but couldn't talk about that yet. Well, it makes total sense that Google is opening up their first party studio development hub, almost like with PlayStation and Sony Worldwide Studios and the Xbox Game Studios, just that kind of first party hub. So it's Stadia Games and Entertainment, where Jade Raymond is the head of that. Launching 2019 in the US, Canada, UK, and Europe sorry, Australia, maybe in the following year. And they'll next talk about it in the summer. Okay. So that was like the gist of the press conference. If you didn't see it all in one, it's a lot of big heady ideas that just works in in a dreamlike state, right? But let's look at our last talking points from last week. Did it hit all those key things? The key message? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's dream top level concept. They hit why a stream gaming sort of service could work in theory. The software partners, not enough. And you even saw people, uh, insiders saying like, wait, that's it that they talked about games. I mean, yeah, developer focus versus consumer, but like, no, they, they definitely have been working on games. We just didn't see them yet. Okay. Well, it still didn't sell the consumer yet. So not enough on the software partners pricing, big fat. Nope. Right. I mean, is this going to be a subscription service? Is this going to be, you know, a a yearly, monthly thing? Do you just buy the games on their own? Are they cheaper because you technically don't own the physical versions of the games? It's all license-based. There's a big bridge and hurdle to climb there talking about pricing, and they didn't hit that at all. Yes, of course, they talked about a controller. Again, what's the price of the controller? Is it worth the extra features to go out and get that? And again, we'll see. The name, pretty low on the list, but yes, they did talk about it. Stadia, clever, plural of stadiums, uh, you know, which makes sense. It's people gathering around and interacting in different ways. I like the theory behind the name. It's just getting used to calling it Stadia and not slipping into any, you know, drug names or uh, like sugar substitute names. So Stadia, got to get used to that. And then the date, yes, just, I mean, 2019, that's impressive. That's ahead of... Microsoft and Sony's plans, at least for next generation. So kind of getting the front running there. Of course, many people, myself likewise, have concerns going forward. 
I think the potential of Stadia is thrilling, and at least it's truly next gen in its thinking. I mean, watching that stuff, like, if it works, man, this is revolutionary. This is a new future way to play games, to think about games, to think about the game industry. But it's important to realize the problem of speeds and data caps. Of course, Google lives in this San Francisco tech bubble. And even if I'm looking at my own personal internet situation, I mean, I find it to be, it's a rather fortunate one, and yet it's still hindered. So I guess to kind of give you an inside look, I have an Xfinity service that I subscribe to. It goes up to 100 megabits per second. Uh, I pay currently $80 a month for that. I mean, it's the intro price of 40, and then once it lapses over a year, you know, they get you at 80. But just the internet alone for that. And yet data cap. Uh, all of the internet service providers in my area have only service plans that have terabyte data caps per month. And man, you think about whether it's 1080p 60 or 4k 60 HDR, whatever you talk about playing hours of that for games. I mean, man, that adds up real quick. And the problem there is that the United States has a federal communications commission that currently caters to the wants and needs, not to get too political, but honestly, they cater to the needs of these internet service providers to try to milk more and more money out of consumers because the FCC, the way it currently stands, doesn't believe in net neutrality. I mean, think about that for a second. Google wants to have a streaming service be its only means of business to enter into games. And yet, this is the current status of American ISPs. Now, granted, if you live outside the U.S., maybe you're lucky, maybe you're not. I mean, but in the United States, it's pretty subpar internet compared to the rest of the world, honestly, because these ISPs are just milking you and nickel and diming you. So really, to make this a dream reality, Google and anyone else trying to get into the game streaming business, I mean, my God, there's the rumor of Walmart trying to get in on game streaming. I mean, could you believe that that's out there? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's wild stuff. So anyone, any big company that's trying to get into game streaming has to work first and foremost on the United States front with these ISPs. Do you up the you know data caps? Do you eliminate them? Do you make speeds faster? Do you make it more reasonable? I mean, the right to internet exists as a human right in the world established by the United Nations. So it should be a thing, and at least during the Obama administration, it was kind of hit at the floor like 25 megabits per second should be a bare minimum, but it's not. It's not that in other parts of the United States. So before I get myself too worked up, the other elements and concerns for Google is that all digital library. Are we really okay being there? How does it affect the pricing, the ownership? And especially does Google stick with this? We all have that track record of all the different companies that Google has just abandoned after a couple of years. Is that going to be another case with this? But man, the ISP thing is really the biggest deal. And for some, like in that tech bubble of SF, you know, speeds aren't an issue. But for many, it is. And then data caps, if you have the big aspirations of streaming 4K, 60 HDR games, like streaming 4K is like seven gigabytes an hour, an hour. Just think about how quickly that adds up on top of the other uses that you have for your internet. I mean, it's just wild. 
But Google is a major player and they're here stamping their foot in the industry. And it's, it's really a big deal. So let's quickly look at how the other big competitors, the big three, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, should they be concerned? Well, I think it really grants these competitors at least one more console generation, which we are about to approach, right? There's still going to be something that needs to be said for the premium unfettered experience, because even if Google can deliver 4K, 60 HDR, all that stuff, the compression on that video signal is going to be crazy. And so Microsoft will be able to walk out there and say, here's our next generation Xbox. It's, you know, the big Anaconda, you know, sort of model, not the Lockhart X cloud streaming version where you can play true 4K 60 HDR games without the compression of streaming. And that's going to be the top level experience on your nice TV that you may or may not have. So we at least have several more years of consoles to actually work with. Microsoft is at least in the position where they're developing their X cloud streaming technology as a supplemental means, right? Because what if, you know, streaming kind of goes belly up. Google kind of hosed. They didn't talk about a physical hardware solution. They're really banking on that we're ready for streaming where we may not be yet because of the infrastructure. Microsoft would at least be using xCloud as a supplemental, saying that you can do this on the go, on your phone, wherever, on your tablet, on your Surface tablet, right? But at least they would have the box for those that are really interested in keeping that sort of ecosystem there for their TV. At least that's what Microsoft has. And it's going to be fascinating to see their conference at E3. Like I, I'm excited about Nintendo's Direct at E3, to be honest, when they eventually announce it and talk about that. But Microsoft is going to be the big deal player at this year's E3. Don't you forget it. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Sony, for as quiet as they are, they're also in a very interesting position, right? PlayStation 5 is going to be eventually in the works. They'll eventually announce it, assuming it's called PlayStation 5 but they still have the premium first party studios that are ready to deliver either new IPs, sequels to really successful IPs, Horizon, God of War, Spider-Man. I mean, sequels of those are surely on the way. So they're good with the premium console and first party studio experience, but now they're starting to tinker with things if you wanna believe the patents, like historical backwards compatibility, going all the way and say, stick your PS4, PS3, PS2, PlayStation discs in this system, and it'll work. I mean, if they can get that going for the next generation, craziness, that would be amazing. And then on top of that, they also have PlayStation VR as a kind of core component to their console business. How does that develop for the next generation if the VR market continues to be a thing? But they also have PlayStation Now, right? They were early adopters with buying Gaikai and using that. And yeah, it hasn't really gone off and been the success they want it to. But now can they compete with Google's data centers, with Microsoft's Azure servers? Do they partner with someone like Amazon who wants in to get into like the Google sort of competitor game streaming business? Maybe uh, to kind of help bolster that service. It's really interesting to see where PlayStation is, and it's a shame that they won't be at E3, but maybe with things like State of Play, we can kind of get a sense of how they're sort of walking down that roadmap. 
And for Nintendo, I mean, they're killing it with the Switch. They're winning that portable space for a console. I mean, mobile gaming is a whole other thing entirely, right? But for premium experiences to take them portably, Nintendo, hand over fist, winning and owning it with the Switch. But they're missing that potential future if streaming takes off. And that's where you have to wonder if a partnership with Microsoft is inevitable. To get Game Pass, to get xCloud on Switch, you got to think. I mean, Nintendo's not going to want to say, hey, Amazon, hey, Apple, do you want to be all buddy-buddy and try something to try to compete with these other juggernauts? The partnership with Microsoft may be critical for that going forward, and they can obviously benefit the both of them. So really interesting things to think about, at least you know, all the cynicism about Stadia aside, it provides an injection into the game industry to think about all these sort of things in new ways. And that is probably the most exciting of all. So yes, that is all that I have to say here. And normally this is the part of the show where we throw it over to you, the cars. I got to give a big shout out to Video Game Guru 64. You know, you think doing this show on Discord plenty of times, you've seen all of the weird quirks that are involved with Discord. Well, no. New glitch encountered today where Video Game Guru 64 trying to call in and just can't hear. I've spent quite a while trying to troubleshoot and get it figured out. Can't get it to work. Hoping to get to talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Really do appreciate that. Uh, and if you're looking to tune in, and I'm here every every Sunday afternoon looking to talk to you about games. And if you'd like to participate, you're certainly welcome to over on our Discord at rhymesathasia.com slash call. Looking forward to talking to all of you there. But for now, let's get into the end of the show. We'll talk about the games that are coming out this week. Battlefield 5 Firestorm comes out Monday, March 25th on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. This is finally the rollout of their Battle Royale uh, for Battlefield 5. So it should be interesting to see just how well it does, especially with EA right now and all the Apex stuff. Should be should be interesting. Final Fantasy VII comes to Xbox One and Nintendo Switch on Tuesday, March 26th. And that's not the only Final Fantasy release because Final Fantasy XV Episode Arden, the final DLC for that game, comes out on Tuesday, March 26th on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. I guess they're doing some sort of digital booklet, some sort of written release because they had more episodes planned. But we'll see how that all shapes out. But episode Arden, it's been a long time coming, but finally, finally, finally. The end of an era, The Walking Dead, the final season, episode four, comes to PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC on Tuesday, March 26th. That's definitely my big recommendation for the week. Been playing all of those games, all of those episodes. Can't wait to see how Clementine's story wraps up. I'm really excited for that one on Tuesday. Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered comes to PS4, Xbox One, and PC on Friday, March 29th. Uh, That's free for owners of the Assassin's Creed Odyssey Season Pass. So that's probably how I'll play it. It looks pretty good, and they say they're going to do some game fixes as well, because that's definitely one of the weaker Assassin's Creeds, that's for sure. Yoshi's Crafted World comes to Nintendo Switch on Friday, March 29th. Be good to see that game finally out. Some favorable reviews from the demo, absolutely. And Tropico 6 comes to PC on Friday, March 29th. 
And that'll do it for this episode of The Power Switch. We are hosted by RhymesWithAsia.com, and we're on YouTube and Twitch at RhymesWithAsia. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Power Switch. I am at Pete Speakeasy. You can email us any concerns, questions, or comments or opportunities at powerswitchpod at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to The Power Switch on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And if you could be so kind as to leave a review, that would really help as well. But most importantly, to participate in future episodes, you should join our community on Discord by visiting rhymeswithasia.com slash call. It's a small but growing community, so now is the perfect time to have your voice heard on this podcast. If you like a YouTube video to watch, I've been binging Whose Line Is It Anyway? Scenes from a Hat compilation. So I'll give you a good place to start in the show notes there, but go watch some old Whose Line, man. Like, that's that's the stuff. And if... I'm just old and you have no idea what that is. All the more reason to check it out on YouTube. Whose line is it anyway? Particularly their scenes from a hat uh, segment. Just good classic stuff there. So yes, a big gaming week ahead of us. Maybe you're digging through Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and you're dying a lot. I got it. Just haven't gotten around to it yet. So it should be interesting once I do experience that. But a whole lot of games to get to. And man, March is a good month, but I know when Tuesday rolls around, I'm digging into The Walking Dead. I need to see how that story ends. I can't wait, but it should be a big week for games. That state of play, look for that on Monday. What's what's going on in PlayStation world? Can't wait. So we'll talk about it next week on Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to hearing from you. Please stay tuned to that Discord channel as everything develops. And regardless, whether it's live or on your own time, I look forward to you joining us for our next episode. With that, I'm Peter Spasia. Until next time, switch up, call in, game on.